scripture morning this reading is coming from Genesis chapter 3. We'll be reading the whole chapter. Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say that you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, You may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, and neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves loincloths. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. And then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And to the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing, and pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you, and pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of the all-living. The Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins, and clothed them. The Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim, and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Let's pray. Father, we trust in your sovereignty. We trust in who you are, that Lord, if it were not for you, there are all reasons for us to lose our minds, but yet because we know you are God who is in control, even when the worst comes to the worst, underneath are the caring arms of God. So we do pray for our brothers and sisters in different countries where this disease is taking lives giving a lot of pressure to families. Churches are struggling with government authorities in other places to whether they should meet or not, even where there are no good healthy grounds. We pray for this whole situation that Heavenly Father, even in this, you will be glorified. And so this morning as we come around your word, our dependence is on you. May our eyes and ears be open to your truth. May you help me that my meditations may be acceptable before you. To the glory and honor of your name, in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Um, the other day last week, I was sitting in the office, I was talking with a colleague. I was just looking back to, and on my own life, how many years I've spent doing studies. And, and you think of that when you really know that now the studies have taken its toll. So I discovered for 30 years I've been doing studies since I was born. If you look at the period of uh, studies, 30 years and I'm 55, so much of my life I've been studying. One of the things that I studied and I didn't know how it would impact my life, I studied history of the philosophy, Western philosophy. That was one of my uh, most difficult subjects besides uh, Greek. But I discovered later on that the the people in the West, they have thinking that helps you to understand. Even though in Africa we don't talk about philosophy, there is philosophy. The only thing is we can't describe it. All of us, we do philosophy, but we, we do not know that we do philosophy. And so, one of the things in, the, in philosophy I learned was cause and effect. And I discovered in our own Chichewa setting, our Tumbuka setting, in our cultural setting, there's that philosophy. And there's a, a parable, a story, or a proverb which says, Literally, is an elephant was sitting, was, was standing under a tree, and there was a fruit, a fruit from the tree came and hit the tusk of an elephant and it got broken. And the elephant, being a big animal, he was tasking all animals to say, Who broke my tusk? cause and effect. You can't deal with a problem without understanding the cause. And we are in a generation where it doesn't matter as long as it feels good to me. It doesn't matter. So when it comes to Christmas, why do we celebrate Christmas? What is the cause of Christmas? A lot of us, we are already in advanced stages preparing for Christmas. Have you been to the shopping malls lately? Do they read the same Bible with us? Are they excited? Are we excited for, uh, about the Lord the way they are excited? The thing is, they do not know the reason for Christmas. And it can be very possible for you to be a believer who celebrates Christmas year after year, but you do not understand why Christmas. This morning we've read from the book of Genesis, chapter number 3. We want to focus particularly on preaching today on one verse. Or maybe I should say 14 and 15 verses. But maybe before we do that, we are trying to find out where are we coming from for us today to celebrate Christmas. If you hit chapter 3 of the book of Genesis, you're actually coming from chapter 1, chapter 2, even God himself says it is good after six days of creation. He creates man and God himself being a good God, he says it is good. When a good person says something is good, you can believe that that thing is good. And God himself is saying it's good. And some of us, we look at ourselves, we hate ourselves because our looks are not good. But God created you and he says it's good. Be strengthened and be encouraged. You are good. But when you come to chapter number 3, the story changes. It's bad news. Things just fall apart. Things just get bad. Not in a small way. Things are bad in chapter number 3. Now let me just pause a little bit. The book of Genesis, it's a book of beginnings. The word Genesis in English, its origin is to the beginning. The meaning is beginning. And if you look at the book of Genesis, it's not only the beginning of the creation. It is the beginning of the creation, the beginning of God's grace, the beginning of sin, the beginning of the goodness of God that is seen to, it's right there. So indeed, when we look at verse number 14 and 15, we are coming from a background where God had placed man in the garden of Eden and told him what God had given man and woman a word to stand on. Don't do A, B, C, D. 
But lo and behold, they went against what God had ordained to do. So chapter 3 is the bad news. In, in theology we call it the fall of man. And that's where the depravity of man comes from. Man was dented by sin, not just a little bit, but also the same thing, the whole creation was affected. If you look at the world today, any suffering that you can see, any aggressing, corruption, evil that is taking place, the wars that we're seeing, these incurable diseases is because of the fall of man. Now remember, you may think like, so where was God? And this is many times confusing. You remember this is a book written by Moses, he's, read, he's writing it somewhere where he's in the wilderness. He's not writing at the exact time the creation is taking place. He's looking back with the people of Israel in the wilderness. He's writing these things to encourage them what God did. So, have that in mind. He's not recording things as they happen, but he's recording for us what God did in the creation. So the idea is to encourage the people of Israel. If you understand the creation, you will appreciate God. There are so many theories about how things came into being. Some of them you wonder whether people have lost their minds or not. They are saying that the creation is an accident. It was just boom and then people started being into existence. Seriously, that can't happen anywhere. So we are a mistake. Brothers and sisters, not only non-believers, here in Malawi, if you go to secondary schools, they don't teach chapters, 11, uh, chapters 1 to 11 of the book of Genesis. And that is not Christianity, that's the, it's Bible, uh, um, Bible knowledge. You can have Bible knowledge without having a relationship with Christ. Very possible. So, the minister of education, when they came up with the curriculum of Bible knowledge, they didn't include the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis. You cannot be a believer of Christ without those first chapters. Because that's where it starts. That's where it starts. And you know what they've done in the Ministry of Education? They've replaced the, the, the 11 chapters with evolution. And they don't do that in Bible knowledge. They do it in biology. Am I right? That's where they explain the existence of things. That's the enemy trying to teach our generation, our country, a creation that is not from God. And that's why we, we don't even understand the Christmas itself. Now, if you look at chapter number 2, God, verse number 16, God clearly told the woman and the man, Adam and Eve, to say, here are the things you ought to do. If you go in chapter number 3, you see how this woman and the enemy going against the word of God. Let me say this. Many times, when people commit sin, they go against the word of God. The will of God is in the word of God. The enemy, when he was bringing sin, he was attacking the word of God. Attacking the word of God is attacking God. Someone said, what God says represents what he is. Haven't you heard someone speak and say, that's James. Even though you haven't seen him, but what you hear him say, his words, you equate them with them. So, Man has sinned. Amazingly, God comes to visit them. There was that relationship between God and man where he would come and visit them in the garden. One of the things was lost because of sin is that, that God can no longer come and visit us. That was lost. So they committed sin. This woman loved her husband. She shared the, the fruit with him. I'm not going to go into debate whether that was wrong by a woman or whatever, but I think both of them committed the sin. And amazingly, you would question God, why is he asking, where are you? God is not asking because he doesn't know where they are. He's asking, maybe they could be remorse and say, God, I'm sorry we, 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 we did that. God is deliberately asking them that they can realize of the sin they've committed. But God being sovereign God, being a holy God, 
He will not compromise. There are certain parents when your kid, the the kid you love most, when they commit sin or they do something wrong, you just overlook, right? This one is younger one. This is my favorite. I can't spank them. God is a holy God. God is a just God. And right there we see in the verses we're dealing with, we see God passing some kind of a judgment because of the actions they did. The action bringing it down it's going against the word of God. God said things, I don't want to go into details, but if you check verse 16 and the words that the serpent is saying, the woman is even, for example, is saying, God said we shouldn't even touch it. God didn't say it. We at times add words. It's, it's bad to add words to scriptures. Don't put God, don't put your words in God's mouth. Pastors, we are fond of that. In trying to explain scriptures, we, we add on something that is not said by God. To manipulate people. To meet our human, human goals. We tend to do that. There's a lot, if you go and, and observe practices in churches, you wonder if they read this Bible. Because pastors have added their own thinking to the word of God. And that was the problem with Eve. And the serpent. The serpent, the devil, has not changed. He's the same today. And he will remain the same against the will of God attacking the truth of God and attacking God's people now so God has to pass justice that's why if you're living in sin God's system is very accurate it will catch you, it's a matter of time catch up with you God will not overlook sin unless you're in Christ then uh, righteousness is imputed to you But let's look at this verse number 14 and number 15. In these verses, actually there are three three elements that will help you to appreciate the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's look at verse number 14 before we go to verse number 15. Because you have done this, cursed are you above all living uh, livestock. And above all beasts of the field. You remember in verse chapter number chapter 3, number 1, the serpent was this cool guy among all the livestock. So the devil picks on him and wants to use him. And yet God now is passing judgment. He's addressing the serpent. But we know that the serpent is a representative of the devil himself. Just, just, this should not be difficult for us to understand. Just as we know in the New Testament, it is the devil who took Christ on the cross, but he used Judas Iscariot, isn't it? So it is in the same way, the devil is, is using, or the, the snake becomes a symbol of the devil himself here. And God is addressing the, the, the snake, but he's addressing uh, the devil himself. And he says... Case are you above all livestock? That guy who was uh, in verse number one who was seven was more crafty. Now he's he's been cursed by God. And above all beasts of the field, on your belly you shall you shall go. And dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Now some people would want to explain that maybe the snake before had legs, and therefore God took away the legs in the in the in the process of cursing him, but I think we can't substantiate that from scriptures. But all we know is the snake is now crawling on the ground because of the evil that he did to deceive man into sin. But there's something here that we need to pay attention to because it's alluded to in Isaiah, but also in Micah chapter 7 verse 17, when someone is eating the dust, it means he has been defeated. Remember before I became born again, there's a song, I don't even remember who sang it. Uh, but I remember that verse, that chorus, somebody bite the dust. I don't, if you ask me who sang the song, I have no idea. But it means defeat. And God is pronouncing this judgment on the serpent. He's saying, you, you walk on your belly, literally, and you will eat the dust. I think it's in Isaiah 65. He's talking about eating the dust being a defeat. 
The same way in Micah 7, 17. It's about defeat. The devil is defeated. Now, brothers and sisters, the defeat does not only happen at the cross. This is the beginning. The effect of the enemy would not be for eternity. Look at, at uh, down there. All the days of your lives. It's not just talking about the snake. But God behind the snake is addressing the enemy. Literally these things will happen to a snake. You crawl on the ground. Let's look at point number one. First enemy. Now the, the case has been given. But there is something we need to focus on. Verse 15. God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. Enmity number one. That between the snake and the woman, there will be war, literally. Now you should be able to be crossing to the spiritual and also to the physical. Now, I think it's, it's Martin Luther, the reformer, who says, this verse 15 is so packed that no man can say what it says, only God can say. That's what Martin Luther says. In this verse 15, there is information that you and me, if we were to sum it up and say it in these few words, we couldn't say it, but only God can say it. And that's why we need to unpack this verse. We are privileged. We are privileged in the sense that we, have, we know the New Testament. And so we come to the text with the knowledge of what has already taken place that is said in this place. But picture this. There are two ways of reading it. If you are an unbeliever, you've never heard of the gospel, you don't understand Jesus, or just the people in the wilderness, when they read it, they were not privileged like we are today. If someone was in the jungle somewhere, they've never heard the gospel, they picked up the Bible, and they're reading like a novel. They will need to understand it. But we are so privileged. We've seen the story unfold. And having appreciated who Jesus is, we come to the text to appreciate what he is saying. The enmity between you and the woman. Now, you need to understand, why is he God able to do this? God is looking at the woman now, when it happened, and he's looking at the snake now as it happened, and he's pronouncing judgment. You can only do that and write in this way if you are all-knowing and you are all-seeing. And this is why God can pack that truth like this. He's looking at the snake, the devil, and he's seeing all the children of the devil down the line to the end of times. And so he's speaking like, not like us. When I look at my son and talk about him, I'm not, I'm not sure how many kids God will give him. But when God looks at me, he is able to see the grandchildren of my grandchildren. And he can address me in the light of what he sees in my lineage. And this is what is happening here. And so when God is talking to the devil and the woman, there are, are, are representatives of two races, so to speak. So when God is saying the way he's speaking here, it's because he sees beyond what we can see. And so he's summing it up with the ability because he can see the end of times. In other words, he's, he's standing more or less at the beginning of history and seeing the end of history and he's addressing us today. And that's why he can, you, you can, he can summarize history in these few words. Now, he's addressing the, 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 the snake and the woman. He says, you snake. Now remember, he's not talking only of the physical sin. He's talking about the seed of the serpent, which is the sons of the devil. And when he's talking about the seed of the woman, he's talking about those that will believe in his son, the children of God. He's seeing them down the line. And he says, first of all, he's talking about the enmity between the woman and the serpent. Is that very important? I think, much as it looks negative, there's a ray of hope in that. Remember, the devil has been causing a havoc in heaven. Now he's down on the earth, he's dealing with human beings. Remember, if you look at the, excuse me, the book of Isaiah chapter number 14 and Ezekiel chapter number 28, he's talking about the devil wanted to rise above God. And when we go to the book of Revelation chapter 12, 
we see that the, the enemy has been thrown away from heaven. He's been defeated. But the point I want to make here is, <clears throat> with this enemy, there's hope. Why am I saying there's hope? The Bible says the devil was thrown out of heaven together with one third of the angels that rebelled against God. Brothers and sisters, we need to, to appreciate God for this. Nothing is heard about the Son of God dying for these angels that rebelled against God. But when, 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 when a woman is deceived, guess what God says? I will bring an enemy between you. That's hope. The angels continued for fellowshipping with the devil. But with the woman and God and the devil, God says, I'm going to separate you. Wait a minute, God has got a plan. Because, because I mean, ask the question, sorry. Why should God not bring an enmity between angels and the devil? He didn't. But also look at this. Angels do not reproduce. Human beings do reproduce. Can you imagine if that was permanent? There was no hope for us. Now you should think, think of that in light of Christmas because God did not, when man sinned, God did not say, oops, man has sinned, I don't know what we're going to do. Let's go for a meeting in heaven. The Trinity should meet and discuss. When man sinned, God had already had a plan for salvation. Because he's all knowing. In, in God's existence, there's nothing like, oops, I made a mistake. God was seeing already the plan. And so when he's, he's pronouncing this judgment... He is already giving hope that there will be an enmity. It looks negative, but brothers, there's grace in that. He didn't do that with angels. Angels, no one died for them. These angels do not celebrate a Christmas for their Messiah. We are the only ones who celebrate Christmas. Because God brought that enmity, it was a ray of hope. God was up to something. He's not going to leave this woman just like that. Now, we, we are able to say that because we understand the New Testament. So that enmity is a ray of hope. God is not just going to sit and let us wallow in our sins and die and be destroyed in our sins. Brothers, but what happened? The sin they committed has affected us all. That's why Paul writes in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, all have sinned and fallen short of God, God's glory. We were not there. How, how can we see it? The sin that, 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 that even Adam committed has affected us all. I mean, look back in your own life. Is there anyone here who has sinned before? Raise up your hand. I just want to see. Oh, I'm, I'm glad kids are raising up their hands. Now, kids, who taught you to sin? Did mom and dad sit down with you and say, today we're teaching you how to steal milk? Or a little bit honey or peanut butter or something like that? How come we just grow up and then sin comes in us? It's because sin is passed on us. Through Adam and Eve, we have been dented with sin. It's a matter of time. You know what? You, you, go, you guys, I, I grew up with my dad and mom. They were farmers. So you observe plants at times. One tree that I love and the fruit I love is a popo tree. I don't know you guys, but back at home at popo trees, there are two types of popo trees. There are popo tree that bears fruit and the popo tree that really struggles to bear fruit. So in the village, they call the one that fails to bear fruit is a, is a male popo. And the one that bears fruit, they call it a female popo. I don't know why they call that, but it's a good explanation for me without doing biology. But let me tell you one thing. Even though the other popo doesn't bear fruit, it is still a popo. Is that true? Even though you may be saying, but I don't steal milk, but you're still a sinner. Why are you still a sinner? Because we are affected because of the fall of man. Brothers and sisters, we all are sinners. And God is saying, you all have sinned. And that's why we all need Christ. Let's not just celebrate Christmas. We are in need. Don't just get Christ into a party of his birthday without knowing what, why we're celebrating what we're celebrating. Don't celebrate just for the sake of food. Celebrate because of what is being accomplished at Christmas. 
Sin came into the world. We are all guilty. The wages of sin is death. In two ways about it. But see what God is doing. He says, I'll bring an enmity between a woman and the snake, the serpent. Seriously, I don't know you. There are some people who are snake lovers. I don't know why they love those creatures. But for me, when I see a snake, my instinct is to just kill it. Whether some people will tell you, oh, no, that is just a garden snake. Who told you it's a garden snake? My instincts tell me kill it. It's amazing to observe in history that some devil worshippers have used the snake as a symbol of worship. Our focus is not on the physical snake. The focus is the spiritual. The devil himself who personified himself in the form of a snake. And so the Lord is saying there will be an enmity between the two. They will not fellowship for all. But I'm thinking maybe that enmity literally comes from that. I'm telling you, if someone would shout snake here, church will end this na- just now. <laughs> A dog will walk in here, will continue worshipping, nothing will happen. Even though some Malawians, when they see, they see a dog, they want to stone it. Even Malawian dogs, they just, if you just want to scratch, they run away because they know Malawian men will stone you. So we see the enmity between a man and a woman giving us a ray of hope. Can you imagine if God just left the, the, the woman and the snake to be friends? In their fall, in a woman's fallen state. This, this, God is addressing the woman because she's the one who started this whole process. It's not like the man is spared. Oh, by the way, so I deal with the woman because there are some guys that are chauvinists, you know. Deal with them. Deal with the women. No, that's not what he's doing. As he's dressing the woman, he's addressing the husband as well. I'll put an enmity between you and the woman. Then let's look at enmity number two. And between your offspring and her offspring. Now, I struggled. I almost called, I almost called Tim this morning. I wanted to find out, is that offspring plural or single? Because it, it affects the interpretation of the passage. So, when you're still struggling with the passage, around five in the morning, the writer is at the office, use your personal library, but thank God I went through. I hope that guy helped me. But in this sense, it is meaning plural, a group of people. So the group of people of a snake and also the group of people of a woman. Their offsprings will be enemies. In other words, the children of God and the children of the devil, they will always be enemies. And that's why we get surprised today to see, we get surprised when we see the world is against the church. You know, today a Christian can do something, it will be a big issue. If a non-believer, a chamber smoker, a drug taker does something, no one notices. Why? There's a lot of animosity against the church today because you don't get surprised. It started from here. It was a curse. And that's why it, it, it behooves some of us to say, I am going to get to marry the guy who is not a believer and you're saying I'll turn his heart. That, that man you want to marry, that woman you want to marry, if she's not a believer, she is not the same seed with you. When Paul is talking to you, should not be equally yoked to, to a non-believer. He's, 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 he understands the dynamics. So you are married to, 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 to a daughter of a serpent. Yes, your wife is not a believer, and you are surprised why things are happening the way they happen. Yesterday, morning I attended a service here uh, Pastor Chirungula was preaching Newton, he was talking of a couple that have divorced and this girl went to confess to Pastor Chirungula saying you know what my parents told me don't get married to this man, he's not a believer the people at the church told her don't get married to this man, he's not a believer and she said I have no one to blame but myself so the two kids that they had out of this marriage, she had to drop them at their parents the world is saying there will be no relationship between the church and those that are not the church. 
Today you see people copying the world, bringing the world to the church, and yet God clearly from the beginning said, there must be a difference. If we are children of God, we cannot operate the way the world works, because there is enmity between us. If the world killed our Lord, how can we be loved by the same world? There's no surprise because it is said from the beginning. Look at Christmas. We celebrate with people who are the serpent's children. What do you expect? They're stealing our show. Could be you're not born again. The Bible is very clear. And the Bible knows only two tribes. The tribe of the serpent. And the tribe of whom? In other words, of course, the wicked and the, and the righteous. Which side are you? Even as we approach Christmas, these non-believers there get crashing into our party. We're celebrating our Messiah. And we're not looking at only drinking and eating. We're looking at the great work that Christ came to accomplish for us. Because brothers and sisters, there's, there's, there's a third enemy that I want to talk about. Estrangement that happened. If you look towards the end of this chapter, verse number 22, read with me. This is the serious matter that brings Christmas in the picture. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now let us reach out to, to his hand and take also of the... Let me read again that one. Now lest he, he reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove, he drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of, the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and flaming sword that turned every way to, to guard the way to the tree of life. Man was banished out of, he was sent out of, out of the garden. He's out of the place that was intended by God for him to leave. Brothers, this is a serious, serious enemy that has happened. Man is no longer friends with God. Remember, God would come in the evening and say, Hey guys, what are you doing? Did you have some of those bananas? I've seen some bananas at the corner of the garden. Something like that. I'm just imagining things. But that was lost. If you are not a believer, you are an enemy of God. Now, this separation, this enmity, will take the rest of life. The reader of the Bible from now on is looking for when will God, what will God do for this man to come back? If you go to the pages of the Revelation, you see man is having access to, to the tree of life. So Christmas should be understood in light of these details. Not just buying new dresses and new shirts and thinking we'll go to the lake. You, at times I wonder, what has God, the birth of Christ going to do with going to Salima? I mean, somebody help me. What has, got, what has got the coming of Christ got to do with, with taking alcohol? There are so many Christians today, they don't take alcohol all the year, but on Christmas they do. I'm not joking, it's true. A lot of Malawians do that. They're elders. On Christmas they will take alcohol. They're saying they're celebrating the birth of Christ. What has got this? We have been banished from the presence of God. There's enmity between us. And God in his sovereign will and sovereign plan. Listen. Let's look at the battle. In the first same, same, same verse. So we've looked at the first enmity, second enmity, and I've added to the second enmity. I've looked at the devil, I mean the Lord banishing man from the garden of Eden. Brothers and sisters, that is dangerous. There's enmity between God and every sinner. You are not a friend of God if you're not a born-again believer. You will not go to that place which Jesus is going to prepare for us. Because when we go to that place, we will have access to the tree of life. At that time, our sins would have been dealt with through the work, birth, death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, let's go back to verse number 15. It's amazing. That's why I wanted to consult Tim on this one. Because what does the Hebrew say? It is talking about offspring that is single. And all of a sudden, you, he, he shall bruise your head. Where is this kind of single guy coming from? If my interpretation was plural, 
And now the offspring is singular. That's where I'm still working on it. And I think, Tim, some homework there. <laughs> You'll help me on that one because I'm not a Hebrew scholar. So maybe the construction there was. But anyways, it, can, it doesn't make us fail to understand the gist of the matter. The guy who bruised the head of the serpent that being a trace is single because it's he. And we know it's not a woman because now the pronoun is he. So that, 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 that doesn't really uh, cause a lot of uh, problems for us to appreciate. The, the Lord is addressing the devil. All of a sudden the enmity was between the woman and their offsprings. And now it is he. Who is this guy? Brothers and sisters, this is Jesus. He's the one who... Now you'll be saying, oh, Pastor Amanda, he's at it again. He just speaks what comes to his mind. If you go to Romans chapter number 16, I think it's verse number 20, Paul alludes to that. If you go to the book of Revelation, I think it's chapter number 12, it talks about this old serpent. Now, let me explain one little thing to this. This defeat, defeat, it seems, is not only on the cross. Why do I say that? Because if it was on cross, Paul would have referred to that it had taken place. But if you read Romans, he talks about it will take place. And in my thinking, this defeat is taking place. You understand it if you read the book of Revelation, chapter 19 and chapter 20. Then you see the serpent is brought to the dust and for eternity. Now, we are privileged that we know the New Testament We know that Jesus Christ, the head of the serpent, both on the cross, but also ultimately when he comes back to give, give final judgment, which is recorded in the chapter 20 of the book of Revelation. But, brothers and sisters, we need to trace who is this man. If you are reading this as a novel, this is your main character you're looking for, who is going to do something to the guy who has brought havoc in chapter number 3 it says he shall bruise your head and you shall and you shall it, God is addressing this strength that he will bruise the head of the serpent now remember everything was done to the enmity was done between woman and offspring but now God is addressing the devil you he will bruise your head and you will bruise his heel this bruising up got degrees, isn't it? The one is bruised the head, the other one is bruised the, the heel. Snakes like biting your heel as you walk around. And many times it's not far to apart, apart from the poison. So Jesus on the cross was bruised. But Jesus will ultimately crush the head of the serpent. But you cannot celebrate Christmas, you cannot celebrate the, the cross or Easter without the manger. I, I hear, are there some uh, chess lovers here? Do you play chess? When I was growing up, I said chess was for people with brains. I tried to pray, it never gave me brains at all, or I gave it brains. <laughs> but one thing with chess, if you're really cool, you know the game, before maybe five, five moves, you say, well, checkmate. Isn't it? Those of you who play chess. And so people who, like me, have got not too much brains, you're just thinking, checkmate? You're thinking, this guy is corrupt. How can he say checkmate? But lo and behold, three, four moves, it's out. I think for the devil, the checkmate was not only on the cross, it was in the manger. You can't have the, the cross without the cradle. It was made possible, the victory was made possible because God, the he, had to become the physical man, and that was God himself. We cannot have Christmas without purpose. The purpose was to reverse the effect of the fall. And when the fall took place, there was estrangement between man and God. I, I mean, let me use the, the, the justice of the village. In the village, when you have sinned against someone senior, you, you can't just go talk to them. You find someone senior, to talk to you on your, on your behalf. Man had sinned against God. And man had no ability to save himself. Only God could save him. And where could we get another God? 
So when you understand this, when you sing songs about the amazing grace, you will appreciate. Because who was going to pay the anger of God? If, 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 if there was any village of gods, maybe would have gone to another god to say, your brother God is very angry, can you talk to us? But there's only one living God, the triune God. Within their community, they devised a, a plan to save us. And it only needed God himself to stand in our stead and to redeem us. Now, brothers and sisters, God cannot just come among us and say, hey guys, I've come to save you. Like someone who's walking along the shore and the starfish have washed ashore and you're picking one up, saved one. He can't do that. We'll all die. And that's why he comes to be like us. That he can stand in our state to pay for the penalty. Now, the transaction of God becoming man needed the virgin birth. He couldn't just come and walk in our streets. None of us would stand. Remember Moses on the Mount Sinai where he said, I want to see you. He didn't even see him. Something like a shadow. Because no man lives that, uh, that sees God. So God becomes man. Not that we can have Fanta and go to the lake. God becomes man. That, that, that enemy when he was burst out of the garden can be bridged. Can be negotiated. That's why there is no any other way that God has provided that man can be saved in. But his son and his son alone. And he couldn't just come as a God. He, wanted, he needed to become God man. Now when you understand that, the rest of the New Testament, you appreciate it. So Jesus, in God's sovereignty, he's looking at history. I think history is his story because it unfolds until he comes. You know, when he, he came in the manger was just the beginning of the fulfillment of God's... That's why on the cross he's crying, it is finished. It is not a shout of defeat, but that which God devised in eternity, that he will save the human race, it is accomplished on the cross. But the cross could not take place without the defeat in the manger. Why am I saying the defeat? Because anyone who was born of a woman since the fall, they were guilty before God, except for the Son of God. He was born through a virgin. That's why the virgin birth explains this whole thing. It explains that he, he was born through a virgin because then he did not take the sin of the world. Now, this reminds us that the enemy of doing the seeds, a woman cannot have a seed, an offspring without a man. So don't, don't think this is just about women. So the feminists were saying, this is our face. God is addressing us women. No, he's not. He's addressing both man, husband, and wife. You can't have a seed born without a man. And so Jesus' birth does not involve the seed. It involves the Holy Spirit. So next time you celebrate Christmas, brothers and sisters, it's not about those drinks, that nice cake. It's not about, you know, my mom when we were growing up, she used to make these mixed scones. Every time I see a mixed corn, I remember my mom. They were only for Christmas. Some of you have no idea, but there were special mixed corns made by mom on Christmas with a bottle of Fanta. To me, that was a description of Christmas. Every year as a young boy looked forward to another mixed corn with a bottle of Fanta. That's Christmas. Even when it's not Christmas, if you saw someone having a mixed corn and father, you feel like, why are you having that? Is it Christmas? For some Christmas, it is a way of merchandising, isn't it? How can you connect this story to selling of stuff in ShopRite? Unless you're out of your mind. Yes, the world is out of its mind. Don't join them. It should be a time of worship. That day, the angels glorified God when the Son of God was born. Because that's the right way of looking at Christmas. Because you look back, what was the cause? Because there was an enmity. Man was burst out of the, the garden. It's, a, it's interesting. The Bible says when God was coming uh, in the garden that, that day, they were naked and they put on clothes using leaves. Have you ever thought about that? I laughed when I was thinking. What happens in the sun, like in a sunny day in the long way, you're putting on leaves in the morning? What happens midday? The fashion is cracking, huh? 
But, but it tells you when man tries to, to fill the gap, the enemy, the trying to reconcile himself to God. Every religion is, is like, like those leaves, trying, trying to, to, to bridge the gap by man's effort. Our salvation cannot be man-made. Our salvation comes from God and it involves God himself. Let's finish by saying this. We're going to celebrate Christmas very soon. Some of you, your homes are already transformed. Okay? Metamorphosis, do you call that? They're changing. If someone took pictures last month and this month, it'd be like, it's not the same home. Some transformation has taken place. But if that happens without Christ, you are wasting your time. Literally, we need to take you to a mental hospital to say, what are you doing? I mean, can you imagine someone is celebrating a party, a birthday party, and you ask him, you say, why are you celebrating? Whose birthday, birthday party is this? You say, I don't know, but I'm just celebrating. I hear it's a neighbor's kid's birthday. You say, well, he needs help. Do you have a relationship with God? If in the beginning it was a serious matter, don't think things have changed. Brothers, let's not, sisters, let's not be deceived. God is so serious about this Christmas because it was not just a mere day. It doesn't matter whether we've missed the actual day or not, but we celebrate the activity itself that God brings out to man. My question as I finish this sermon is, do you know him? Have you been reconciled to him? Or are you just someone who plays church with God? Is your life portraying and appreciating this subverted plan of God through Christ? After all, true believers should celebrate Christmas and Easter every day. Is your life celebrating Christmas? Is your lifestyle portraying the appreciation of God's subverted plan? Is your home portraying a thanksgiving life because of what God has done for you? Yeah, man. Is that your plan that as I'm planning to have a family, I want my life to be aligned with the goodness of God through the salvation He's given us through His Son? Okay, fine. For a moment. Think of this. We are at the end of the time and Jesus is standing there. All this, and you've played around with it. That's a dangerous place to be. But you'll be a blessed man. When you hear these words from the master, welcome, good, faithful servant. I hope you will not just celebrate another Christmas than any other Christmas. Let the truth of Genesis 3 remind us that God is precious God. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you so much. You didn't save the angels, and right now they're languishing, they're waiting for the lake of fire. For us, you open the door through your son. And Father, we know we can't save ourselves. All we are praying is grant us broken hearts over our sins. Let that grace draw us closer to you. No man can save himself. But for those of us who have heard the truth, Lord, not only for going to heaven, but we should be saved for having that relationship with God. How I pray, Heavenly Lord, that you will not give us peace until we come to that point where we confess our sins and ask us to forgive us, ask you to forgive us. Thank you for reaching out to us. Thank you for your grace and mercy. In Jesus' name. Amen.